Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Centurion Leadership Battalion podcast, your source of accountability, inspiration, and motivation to become your best and reach your fullest potential every day. Our motto, it's simple, to use our determination to crush our everyday leadership tasks so that we dominate in our delivery of services and products to our clients and achieve victory and personal growth, profitability, and creating environments for those around us to prosper. Let's get this show started. Hey guys, welcome back to the Centurion Leadership Battalion podcast. Happy to have you listening with us today. Thank you for being part. As always, we'd love to connect with you over on Facebook, Instagram at Centurion Leadership Battalion. We'd love to have you join our exclusive email list, which you can sign up for in the description of this video. And we're just happy to have you listening in with us. I've been so impressed by the listeners and downloads that are growing. When I look at the statistics for the podcast, it kind of gives me stage fright a little bit when I realize how many of you are actually listening in with us. So really excited to have you guys for another episode. We have Justin with us today as always. Hi, Justin. Hey, how are you, Elena? How are you Um, doing today? Doing well, doing well. I'm excited. Today is Friday. We've never really recorded on a Friday, so I feel like it's a different kind of energy getting excited for the weekend and just having another great weekend. How's uh, being a future baby mama going? I guess technically you're a baby mama. I guess I technically already am. It's going well. It's going well. I had a doctor's appointment early this morning. Everything's going well. So I'm thankful for that. Um, It's always nice to go and just make sure everything is checking out and he's growing and he's growing quickly. So I have a feeling he's going to be joining us earlier than anticipated, but he'll be a a summer baby regardless. But I think it might be a little sooner than we're projecting. It's all that healthy eating. It'll, he's going to grow faster and get out of there faster. I don't know about healthy eating because I have been eating Chick-fil-A like it's my job, like my life depends on it. Um, but Chick-fil-A, I feel like is gourmet fast food. I feel like it's the Lord's, the Lord's fast food. So I feel like it's healthy, even though it's probably not, but yeah. I've never seen anything like it in the South. I've never seen Chick-fil-A phenomenon that goes on in Georgia. It's crazy down here. Like fried chicken in general craze. Got it. Understand love it myself but chick-fil-a craze in the south and i I agree it's huge everywhere but in the south it's huge to a whole other level yeah it's really crazy and they just opened chick-fil-a up here in delaware like five minutes from our house just about two months ago like when i was newly pregnant so it was not two months ago it was like four months ago I can't believe how fast this is going by. I'm like already six months pregnant and I can't believe it, but they opened Chick-fil-A here and Greg, my significant other, he is not impressed by it. He just doesn't care. He's like, I don't understand why everyone is so obsessed with this restaurant. I don't even really like it. And, um, I love Chick-fil-A because it reminds me of home. And I grew up with a Chick-fil-A on every street corner in Georgia, like in Swanee, Georgia, it's everywhere. You can't drive two miles without seeing at least two Chick-fil-A's. Absolutely. And it is, it's true. Je- Deborah's the same way. She doesn't see it, but it's the only fast food Zoe eats, even in Colorado. It's, it's the only fast food she eats. I love it. And you know, it's definitely not 
I guess, healthy, healthy, because they do have some ingredients on their ingredient list, even in their grilled chicken that I'm like, eh, is that really the best for you? But you know, they do their fries and peanut oil. They, they do small things that I feel like make a big difference. And I believe the government should be run by whoever runs Chick-fil-A. Like if you've ever gotten in a Chick-fil-A drive-through line at lunch hour with 20 cars in front of you, they have you out of that line with your food, with nothing forgotten in like seven minutes. It's crazy. I've never seen an organization that can, can handle that. It's, it's leadership at its finest, really. Well, and they train the next generation truly in the way it should be done. Those kids that go through there, you know, it's McDonald's university on steroids, like seriously, like, but they're getting it at the restaurant level, not at the university level. Those kids are not like you don't get great education, any fast food business on what it is, but for some reason, Chick-fil-A attracts the best and they excel the better because those kids come out just super prepared for whatever it is in life, I feel like. So congrats to them. I'm hoping that's a model everyone can live by is how do you grow humans at that rate so fast to handle exactly that. They have a system. They all get out. They're not afraid to go outside, even in the rain with an umbrella. Oh, they even if it means one kid's got to hold yeah. the umbrella for the other kid. In the snow yesterday, they had the girl taking my Chick-fil-A order. And I felt so bad because she's standing out with her iPad in the freezing cold. And I was like, oh my gosh, I feel horrible. But they are committed and they really do Chick-fil-A, the corporation. This is not what the episode's about, but they really do, you know, uphold their own values and they don't be, they are not pushed around by what other people say. They're not swayed by what's going on in society. They, they really just honor their values and stay true to, you know, their company mission and I think a lot of people can learn a lot of things from Chick-fil-A, whether it's Chick-fil-A corporate or just going through the, the drive-thru line at lunch. It's literally my favorite and pretty much my only fast food that I actually really enjoy eating every day, but not every yeah. day, but most days. And I want to do this. I'm going to drop this on the podcast right now. One of the best business books I ever read, it's called Covert Cows um, and Chick-fil-A. Um, C-O-V-E-R-T, in case I'm not pronouncing it correctly, Covert Cows and Chick-fil-A, How Faith Cows and Chicken Built an Iconic Brand. It's by Steve Robinson. Again, Steve Robinson's book called Covert Cows and Chick-fil-A, How Faith Cows and Chicken Built an Iconic Brand. He's a former chief marketing officer of Chick-fil-A. The book seriously is outstanding in terms of just some of the insight on Chick-fil-A. Um, I enjoyed it, but to the points that we're really narrowing down on, it doesn't talk about them as much in the book, but the book's a good start to take interest in all of that. So um, if anyone's out there, I recommend that. But anyway, that's um, enough about clucking around, pun intended. <laughs> so, but, enough of our Chick-fil-A talk, and this was not sponsored by Chick-fil-A, but if anyone's <laughs> Not at sponsor all. Us. If you want to sponsor us, just send an email because we'd gladly. Yeah. There you go. Anyway, today's question for our Q&A episode is going to be, why is conflict necessary in growing leaders? It's interesting because, um, good question. Uh, so first, I'm going to say this. I think, particularly in the United States, I can't say the whole world, but I think the whole world in general. Let me back up, actually. We're, as we're recording this podcast, so it'll probably, we're about like six days behind the release of this one. 
ahead, I guess, sorry, ahead. But like we have this situation going on with Russia and Ukraine and whatever that is. Like, holy crap. Like everyone's like, oh, Putin's going to do this. Oh, Putin's going to do this. Like we make assumptions that in the Western world that people are going to play games and be strategic and do all this. No, the strategy was already done. He's on the attack now. He wants some other empire. Okay. Like, let's just like, look at that. Okay. So there is going to be conflict. There already is, there's no avoiding it. And so to say that there's not one, or we need to wait for NATO if he crosses a line or whatever, that the stuff that's going on, it's an interesting. So it's only an assault on a country if they hit a NATO country, whatever's going on right now in Kiev and Ukraine, that's okay. But once they cross that boundary, then it's not okay. You know, we define these things as humans. That's sort of like, okay, okay. And then the conflict aspect, like we're so adverse to conflict, we believe it doesn't even exist when it exists. So weirdly, this question came in about business about leading, but we have this weird conflict going on in the world, which is probably going to start a war, you know, potentially. So we're, everyone's in denial that there might be a war. This is the direction we're going. Instead of saying that there is an aggressor, there is a conflict. How do we manage the conflict now and be prepared for it? Because conflict always exists, regardless. History, humans, one-on-one, always conflict difference of ideals, difference of beliefs, difference of cultures. I mean, Putin straight up tells everyone he will make you think again about crossing him. It's out of his own mouth. Like, why do we assume when the guy straight up tells us? It's like, hello, if I ever run for office as Justin Bizarro, which will probably never happen because I don't want to be in politics, you could go back to these podcasts and see everything I represent. And maybe I've said some things that are wrong and I've changed and grow and we're going to have to restate some things. But in all honesty, you're going to know who you're getting. Like we got to stop assuming people are up to something or being suspicious. That's an American thing to be suspicious. Most of the world straight up tells you what it is they need or what they want. And they they tell you to your face. They meet an American. They're like, okay, we can con them because Americans love believing these things. It's true. We always have some greater theory to sell more or get more advertisement. So on one hand, um, we use conflict as drama, but on the other hand, as humans, especially in Western culture, we have this idea that we're avoiding it, or if we don't talk about it, or if we will it, it doesn't happen. You know, historically, we're always the last of the fight. It's always got to be someone else to start it. before we get involved, great. Could we have deterred this? Yes, the guy's been telling us he was gonna go into Ukraine and he was gonna cause conflict, okay? So that's what this podcast is talking about, but not it didn't intend to tie Russia and Ukraine in that perspective, but since we're a leadership podcast, we're starting to gain the, the base. Everyone's asking for more than just business. We've rewrote the Centurion motto, which Elena and and everyone you'll start seeing in there, it'll change on the websites. Um, I think it has a more altruistic view for what you guys are looking for who are not business-minded and more global-minded. So um, that should help and more leadership-minded. I agree that um, 
if I'm trying to make a bigger difference that we need to have that. So here is how we're going to do it. We're going to take it from something small, a concept in business for us and not and try to expand it out globally um, from a global leadership standpoint, just based on my perspective. And we're going to just try to get everyone to think freely about what conflict really is. Okay. And why it may be important and why it forces us to deal with issues that we typically don't deal with, or we make excuses for, like we talked about in the last podcast. So conflict a lot of time is because we made excuses, made excuses, made excuses. Well, enough is enough. I'm going in, you know, oh, he's not really going to do it. He's bluffing. He's not going to do it. Excuse, excuse, excuse. Well, it happened. We didn't deter it. No shit. Sorry for my language, but it's like, come on. When someone's telling you they're going to do something, they're an aggressor. We have 20 years of history of being able to judge his patterns. How don't we know that? But I guess the difference is, and I will have to say this on this topic on conflict, is exposure to the world's a big deal. And Deborah and I and Zoe and our friend Robin did spend 18 days of our 23-day vacation for the World Cup or 24-day vacation for the World Cup, 18 days of which we were in Russia. We were also in Estonia, which is going to be interesting concerning what's going on and Sweden, but if the Russian mindset, they aren't entrepreneurial, they, they aren't free thinking yet. There is, it, it does exist, it does go on there, but if we think Russia is gonna stand up and retaliate against it and they understand human rights, no, they're still coming from a very hard place and they're still very loyal and, and, and one people and not going to be able to really rebel against the government entrepreneurialism was just trying to rear its head during the world cup and even that was hard so free markets free ideas whatever it's hard so um not to mention with him controlling 40 percent of the resources such as gas um gas prom all over the world cup anyone who watches soccer gas prom is everywhere every sponsorship for every world cup are european has Russian natural gas all over it. So, I mean, was we're like, oh, you know, he's been predicting this is what he may do or may do. No, it's what his plan has been. The more we went, came down on environment, the more Russia grabbed on to control. And now he's got control and power, both in resources and in military to make this a very hard situation. So all because we avoided conflict, <clears throat> sorry. So that's the big picture. So in our work environments or as humans, we just need to get used to it. And so why is it important? Sometimes we let personalities, let things get in our way, mindset, and sometimes a healthy conflict or the ability to go into room with someone and hash it out healthily, not violently or abusively is constructive. So conflict in the right way can be constructive. War is obviously terrible and death is terrible. And when conflict is war, we're talking about a different thing, but in some ways we're talking about the same thing. Conflict um, often happens because of a different set of ideals, no different than war, separate different beliefs between humans, no different than war. Usually the elite humans, if it's a government, 
or a human if it's a dictatorship. Um, but conflict without understanding that it's necessary, that it is part of the way of life, we don't address it. So if we avoid it in our workplace, we don't allow humans to have it to grow because some great ideas, some great relationships can come out of the people's conflict and them having an idea of how to get through it. I don't know a better skill that a human can have than dealing with conflict and being able to talk your way through it, you know, walk your way through it, live your way through it, have a presence, an emotional and physical presence through it. You know, like it's important and I'm not saying to be intimidating, but I am saying I'm, I'm confident in myself. I work out. I know I can handle myself. If anything bad ever happened, if I take the right ground and I, and I keep my own and I have the morals and the core values and the ethics to believe what I'm saying in a conflict, then I just have to be prepared to know that I'm also prepared to be stronger, hopefully faster, smarter and ready for a conflict that goes beyond just a verbal conflict in case it does happen. That's not being stupid. That's just being prepared. And do I want that in my work environment? No. But can I tell you where there's been a conflict with a client or a vendor or employee that's gotten out of hand? And while I can keep my cool all I want, sometimes you just need to physically be able to take someone down and then calm them down and get a handle on the situation so you can get them out of the building so they can calm down. And it doesn't mean they're gone or whatever. I don't believe in that. We had a conflict. Let's work our way through it. And I bet if I show you mercy or whatever, and we have an understanding of why it happened, and I tell you that I understand why you lost your thing and I compromised, we might be able to build something better. It's not a model behavior. I'm not encouraging it. I'm using it as a lesson to build off of. Because if you don't build off of the innate nature of humans to be different and pick on each other's differences and allow the conflicts to come out so they can actually see the similarities, it's hard. You can point it out, you can educate it, but sometimes there needs to be the hard knock lesson. And um, it's very hard to construct that as a leader and someone in business with all the HR rules and stuff like that and not wanting anyone to get offended or not wanting people to call names or throw around terms incorrectly to try to keep things on task. But as a leader, if you learn to get through conflict yourself, you can help other people or two people get through it. And <clears throat> it's really hard. And even in government, I think we can see that this thing with Putin has come over a long period of time. And while maybe we've been managing it in its it, in its moment, we haven't been really thinking about managing conflict long-term. We've been just thinking about avoiding it. So conflict's important because you need to get used to that it exists. You need to get used that humans have conflict and that if we can work through them constructively and they're not harmful and not abusive, then we can grow, right? But if they're nasty or we go to war, it's a little hard to be nice to someone that just like killed over 130 people that we know of so far. 
you know, at least I haven't checked the news today, but I can't imagine what it is more by the time we listen to this podcast. But it's just like, you know, that type of human that just recklessly does it because they want more land or more humans or really, if you want my opinion, it's about the agricultural land in Ukraine. Stalin went there. Everyone knows that Ukraine is a hotbed for agriculture. No different than Georgia, no different than India or Vietnam for spices, for example. It's a hotbed agriculturally. And Russia knows what China knows that we're too stupid to know, that we're about to have a real food problem. So Russia's move is not a move for more land or whatever uh, only. Yes, he's going to build a bigger empire, but the amount of food resources that are in Ukraine, in addition to also the natural resources that are there that would solidify Russia as an empire, it's a big deal. And then we already have China that land grabbed anything they could during COVID. So we're going to have conflict, guys. We've got two countries that have more people than we do that are doing a land grab of resources, agriculture, and preparing for a conflict. Why else would you land grab everything? Why else would you take over all the organic supplies? Because that's honestly the weirdest thing I've ever heard. We honestly have been totally conned as Americans. We're buying organic vegetables. It's not, we can talk about Mexico and the United States or anything frozen anymore or anything like that. Start looking, it's all being done in China. If it's not on the package, it's actually being shipped here, frozen in containers just repackaged here and then labeled that, but it's actually all grown in China, which is an interesting thing that we have organic stuff, which was the whole point to save the environment, to have a better food source for humans. Yet we're going to spend all that money, put it on ships and then have it or ver- organic verified by supposedly Americans or whoever's going over to China to verify in the thousands upon thousands of acres that they're doing this according to organic code and that they've waited three years or ever the U.S. standards are for those fields to be organic and they've done the testing and, and, and. It's the craziest thing. So I'm just saying, when you go to war, you grab resources. When you're preparing for conflict, you take as many resources, especially food, and things like gas or natural gas away from people. And Russia already proved that that's what's true. So he's telling us to. So how do we prepare for conflict? We've got to get used to it in our home. We've got to get used to it in our workplace. We've got to get used to it as we grow in our environments. We've got to get used to that there's conflict between businesses or employees. Um, but it's important that we all know how to get through it. I don't know how else to say it other than that. The experience of conflict is hugely important. And it's hugely important also because there are other humans in the world that go through conflict and don't care about conflict anymore. And they look for conflict. Putin looks for conflict. You can't avoid a person that looks for conflict. You can't avoid a bully whether he works for you, whether it's in your schools, whether he's friends with your kids, whether there's someone that's a bully to you and your family, those bullies are always going to be bullies and be aggressive unless someone stands up to them. 
Russia really in its history, we've had cold wars, we've had all these wars, the Germans sort of stood up to them, the French sort of stood up to them before they were USSR, but all of them got demolished. So by all means, Putin believes that he can do whatever he wants, they haven't been stopped. So according to him, all conflict, even though USSR broke apart, they're still undefeated. That's power and conflict. Why? He's been through it. He was there when they signed it to break apart the country where that was the failure. He learned and made sure he built the strategy over 20 years to take it back, but to do it the right way. And the right way to him is different than the right way to us. So in conflict, you've got to know what the rules are. What are the rules for conflict in your home with your spouse? Like, have you guys talked about it? What is real fair fighting? What is real fair conflict? In your business, what is an acceptable conflict level? Do you, do you understand it with the people you work with or with your boss or the people that work with you? What is an acceptable level of conflict? You want it, you want disagreement. And sometimes whether you want it or not, it gets elevated and two people need to be sat down in a room and they need to have it out and they need to get their emotions all out on the table and then we need to move on. And there'll be way more love there when that goes on. As boys growing up back in the day and going to an all boys school, we just fought like straight up. Okay. And the violence is not the answer guys, but weirdly you fist it out. You get your emotions out while you're doing it. Fist to cuffs and your boys again, because you, your beef is done. You had it out. You took it out on each other. Both of you were wrong, obviously. And then both of you handle it the wrong way by, by fighting. And so both of you got humility and got heard at the same time, which is important. Conflict adds two things, humility and being heard. I don't know why, but we've just got to accept that a person feels heard in conflict and there's humility that also comes from it if we allow two people to engage in it because they both can be humbled. But I'm not saying to do it recklessly. I'm not saying to do it without talking to someone. I'm not saying that you aren't going to hurt people in learning. It just happens. It's unfortunate, but it's worth moving forward because the humans you help, um, the world you help will be better off and we'll be better off if we learn to lead in these ways because then we can better address situations even on a global scale, even as just voting citizens for our governments on what conflict really is on a global scale. It's different within the US borders, for example, than it is outside the US borders and each conflict our relationship with every country is no different than each relationship we have with a human that's built on different trusts and different policies and conflict can exist at any point in time with that. So, Elena, I mean, um, I'm gonna open it up a little bit because I sort of really brought in that topic and shrunk it down. I mean, what are your thoughts? I think it's a good, time to bring up what's going on you know the heartbreaking situation going on over in ukraine and just the innocent people there um that are dealing with you know basically a war zone in their home um it's kind of hard for us to comprehend that i mean we see it on social media and you know we see these videos and we see the news but until you're actually there you know living this it's it's hard to see you know the people sleeping in the subways and the 
I saw a video just this morning of, you know, the NICU babies who are basically premature babies for anyone who's not familiar with the term, um, all laying on boxes in the basement of a hospital. It's completely devastating. Um, so when you're trying to think of an example, you know, a real life example for this topic, I think, you know, this is a good one. And I think it's important to bring light to it because we want to make sure that we're staying, you know, with the times and we're, we're talking about real topics that are going on in our, our country and important things that, you know, need to be discussed. Um, especially when sometimes people view, you know, America as this distant being like all the American citizens just live in their little world and post about things on social media, but they don't actually care and don't actually think about these things. So I think it's important to bring light um, to that, that situation. And I don't feel like I have the, the credentials enough or, you know, to be talking about leadership in that sense of, you know, leading through a disastrous, you know, war zone. Um, but I did, I did like the fact that you brought that up to, to kind of talk about what's going on within the government there. And it was interesting that you have actually been there. I've actually never been over to Russia, to Ukraine, to anywhere over there. I have gone to Lebanon several times, which is the Middle East. Um, we were actually there in 2006 when the Israeli and Hezbollah war was going on. We were on a vacation in the summer. So if you Google me, you'll see my eight-year-old self on a CNN interview actually, but we were there in the middle of a war zone. And I know, you know, I still remember being this little kid eight years old and there's bombs being dropped within two miles of our house. Like it was just this traumatic experience. So even, you know, talking about what's going on over in Ukraine just breaks my heart for the people there. Um, but back to what I was saying, um, it's really interesting to hear, you know, that you've been there and you kind of have this other view of the government and, you know, the, the opinions that you do have. I think it was interesting for me to hear those because there's definitely a lot of opinions and finger pointing going on on social media from people who probably have no business really making the judgment calls that they are making. Um, but all of that to say, my heart does go out to those that are dealing, you know, with this on the front lines and I pray for everyone's safety and just that, um, they'll make it through this devastating crisis that's going on over there. It's just devastating. I agree with you. And I think it's horrible. And I, I can, I agree with you. I think when, um, bombing or things are bad or cities are unsafe, I remember being in uh, Italy and 13 years old over there to play soccer um, and do soccer over there and there and in Rome there's just like you know protests and stuff going on and the European Union wasn't quite formed yet so things were much different and we were on they were under the lira and the government was a much less stable than it is now there and so I just remember what it was like and then also I mean um Brazil, I was in Brazil and, and things were unstable at a time like early on in the 2000s and stuff like that. Like things just got weird at times. And um, I think the lesson really is, is that there, if people want change, there's no way often that they can get the big changes that they want without conflict. And we don't see it. Our conflicts are so minor in the United States because our ideology even though it's Republican Democrat is so 
similar in that we're still have such a democratic belief system, but a lot of countries don't have that. Um, they don't have the, the simplicity. They have a lot of polarity and just the way the the excuse me, the political groups uh, believe the government should be structured. So if you can't work through conflict or find commonality, I think it's pretty hard. Um, and on an international level, I certainly don't have advice for anyone, but I really encourage everyone to look at something like, especially if we're in the United States, we purposely, you know, have two years uh, time for House of Representatives to get reelected, six years for senators, four years for a president. So it's possible those positions change a lot. It's possible that they don't. But the important part about it is, is that things that happen like the conflict in Ukraine isn't Biden's fault. It isn't Trump's fault, right? We Or the parties there. This is something that we've seen coming from Putin since the early 90s. So arguably even 30 years. So it's to say it was one leader's fault or one person's fault. And collectively, it was all leadership's fault because we really have to come to the decision as a democratic country, for example, that is so tightly together that the rest of the world doesn't see the world or democracy the way we do. And we can spread democracy and love, but it also means that we have to stick up for the bullies. And sticking up to the bullies means in conflict, you've got to have some position of power. And as a country of only 400 million people, we do not have the power of number of citizens to go kick butt in the world on numbers. We don't have the numbers war. Like we will not win that one. Like at the end of the day, China can keep coming at us probably and we'll be all gone. So a numbers game doesn't work, right? Nuclear weapons doesn't work, right? But what keeps the United States and us safe is our financial systems, our ability for anyone and, and our greed for consumerism and it's okay we have free markets i believe in them i believe we should all have the dream to become wealthy and build legacies for family but that's a valuable leverageable tool and we have really good food systems again safe good food systems so we do not want to give those things up and we have natural resources so in conflict or in conflict just as i said if it's me personally i can have a conversation with anyone but I don't trust everyone to be able to not take the, the conversation too far. Maybe it gets personal and it gets abusive verbally, or maybe it gets aggressive physically. But either way, I've got to be witted enough to handle it verbally, strong enough to have a presence if it does. And as a woman, you've got to have confidence in yourself that you can hold your ground at least enough you know, for a man to get your point. And if he gets out of control, um, then do something. And that takes a lot. I mean, I think that's something I can't even imagine going through. And I'm not the right person to give the advice on it other than um, standing up to a man will often back a man down, especially if the confidence, the facts, and, and the ability to know that you can get through the conflict unharmed. No matter what, you will be okay. I understand something bad may happen, but after it's all done, you got to know that after conflict, you're going to be okay. Okay. And your family's going to be okay and whatever, because 
no matter what you're doing, if you're leading properly every day, you're preparing and living your day to the fullest, because if you're really leading your life, you always know something bad could happen at any time. So you're always keeping your side of the street clean. So you want to get through conflict. You want to have confidence in conflict. Live every day with the confidence that you've got your shit under control. And conflict, regardless of if you like it or not, you're prepared for it in that you have the confidence that you can get through it. And that's a starting point. Keep your house in order, you know. So um, Putin, for lack of a better term, whether we agree with what he's doing or not, I'm not saying I do. I think it's horrible. But he had his house in order. He's been getting it in order for 30 years. So why did it happen so fast? Why is it the biggest conflict we've seen in Europe since, you know, World War II where the Nazis went into Poland on and on and on? Because instead of waiting like five to five years like Hitler did, he's been planning a long time and he knew it had to both be economic and militarily. And it was about food. Just saying, if I were to plan and I were telling you that I am planning over the last 30 years, I would probably listen to me. And then when I actually did it, it's probably time to rewind the tapes and go through history and start listening what, to what the man's really said, because he told us. And so if we were preparing for these conflicts, we should have been more prepared. <clears throat> or if we didn't want to get involved, we should have been preparing everyone else for the conflict because they know it was coming. They're prepared. They're issuing guns to the citizens. Like we should have given them our retired military equipment and trained the Baltic states to have just a presence. I'm not saying you need to go to conflict or go to war or to me, but you need to have a presence. That way the other person that's coming into conflict doesn't have all the power if they have a presence. Like we retire weapons and we retire army bases all the time full of shit. There's no reason we couldn't have helped out, you know, with these or, or gotten money back against our deficit to do it. Conflict is a part of life and avoiding it means we're being stupid. Like there's plenty of fighter jets and helicopters and everything we retire every year that could have helped deter this situation as we saw it stacking up. Even the same with China. Like, we have allies, we have bases, we have NATO. Like, it's there because we know conflict. The people that live during the times of conflict set up these things for the times of conflict. We just didn't use them because we're not used to it anymore. And part of that is just because, particularly as Americans, we avoid it at all ways possible. We avoid it at a Starbucks, we avoid it in a line, we avoid teaching it to our kids make excuses or we order the food for them when they can order it themselves you know it's a bad example but because sometimes it's just necessary when you have shy kids to give them the confidence um to order whatever they want off the menu so you have to set an example but get the idea generally so i don't know how else to say it other than um you know, you have to stay calm in a conflict. I think even if it escalates to a bad situation and you're leading in a time of war, like having composure, being able to outthink the other person, being able to take the times to pause, 
even if it gets physical in a personal situation, like having the ability to have control over yourself, your emotions and composures gives you a leverage over anyone during a conflict and good things come out of them. If you're a manager who can manage two people in conflict and again, make sure that it doesn't go overboard, but they both get out all the frustration and anger. And then they both act in a way that honestly, they both got it out, but you're like, okay, well, you both acted poorly. That's the humbling part. And now you were both were heard and now we can make an adjustment. Now they're both on the same page and equitable. So we're starting there and that's conflict, right? That's how we weigh it. How does everyone get equitable at the end? Because without it, the reason it happens is because someone feels something is unequitable. Otherwise there wouldn't be the conflict. Be feelings and maybe being heard, maybe whatever, but generally it's something's not being done to the person's liking. They feel is unequitable or unright or unjust or whatever not being heard usually so um in Putin's case I think he was planning it all along but I think he just finally was like okay it's time I'm going to show the world I've been preparing and waiting this is going to be my legacy why do it in my 40s let me plan till I'm much older and can hold on to it and pass it on uh, by doing it right. So if anyone learns anything from this, um, I hate to say it, but planning, strategy, preparation, not making the same mistakes from the past, knowing your history as a leader, getting exposure to the world, knowing what the world needs or lives off of or consumes. I mean, it's all things that as a leader, I wouldn't I don't want to call him that, but he's the head of his country. He led his country in his vision and he did it over a long period of time. It's a, what he's doing with that power is horrendous and horrible. But again, we can do the same things as charismatic leaders who do the right thing. You know, we can use great power for great goodness or with much power comes much responsibility as uncle Ben or, Aunt May says, as we've talked about it for Spider-Man. So there's no avoiding conflict. It's our ability to look at ourselves afterwards that matters and how we handle it. And if we do handle it badly, it's can we admit that we did and grow from our mistakes? And even on a world stage, admit we were wrong. Okay. Like at some point, we just messed up as the United States. We should have done a better job. We're the bigger part of NATO. We should have been there for you guys. <clears throat> so it's interesting what the wolf will do dressed in sheep's wool, especially when everyone's distracted by what's going on with COVID. And the right hand and the left hand is the one ushering the wolf and the sheep's wool right in the front door or right into the flock, if you will. So strategy is a very powerful thing. And the problem with governments that have people in power for long periods of time is they can execute long-term strategies like this over long periods of time because they know they'll have the time that make huge difference on the world economy and the world politics and 
the world in general or future as humans. So avoiding conflict is just not going to happen. So how do we use it to grow and get used to working through problems without conflict? And then how do we as humans understand that there are other humans, we can label them evil, that just, or bad, um, that just don't care. And they're going to go to conflict no matter what, because they know a majority of the world wants to avoid conflict. So if you become an intimidator or a bully, you're going to get what you want. And unless there's someone who can stand on a moral high ground or, you know, be a white knight that rides in on a black horse, because you're going to have to face your evil demons and it's not going to be so rosy and you're not going to be so sparkly clean, you know, or you could be a black knight on a white horse. I don't care. However you want to use the analogy. Um, but you're going to have to dig a little deep and you're going to have to know that there's a part of you that's also a chip on your shoulder or whatever. That's going to have to be the fire to stand up to a bully to do the right thing for everyone. And once you get there, you don't ever want to stay the bully. You want to try to regulate it. But certainly as a business leader and an entrepreneur and growing locations, you know, you have to be the moral and ethical authority in your business and you have to live by core values. And if you're a government and believe in democracy, the rest of the world does not live by the way that we do. But if we all believe in human rights and that's a commonality amongst all of us, okay, let's find what that commonality is and we can all stand together for that because whether we realize it or not, that does promote democracy and the American way of life. So we just have to pick something and stand behind it. And it is the moral high ground. And it is our core values as the Americans, I promise you. And yes, we should take care of our own first, but come on, right? With great power comes great responsibility. So what is our responsibility to the world, to the rest of the citizens? I get it. We shouldn't think we're better than everyone else. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, if we're going to be a team player, let's use our resources to be a team player. And let's pre be prepared for conflict, not avoid it. Let's help our also our partners and our friends and our loyal NATO people or whatever, or people in our company. Let's help them too by showing them loyalty when we have resources and they'll show us in return. And that's in our workplace too, right? Instead of being in conflict for a different department, how about I share my resources with another department when they need it. Then they'll maybe share it back with me when I need it. And imagine how much more efficient your company is instead of saying, oh, it's operations fault. Oh no, it's marketing's fault. Like, come on, how about we're all in this together? It's not a conflict. Doesn't need to be one in this case. Let's just share resources and let's figure out how to make it work. And there, right there, you just avoid conflict. But you got to be willing to know that conflict exists, that you need to hash out conflict. And over the years to realize that it's okay to have people cross-train. It's okay for marketing to know about operations and operations to know about marketing and finance. It's okay. It doesn't mean that they know everything and they get to make the ultimate decision. But decisions are a lot better made when everyone knows a little bit more about everyone else. And there's a lot less conflict when we in our businesses 
give everyone experience in business and leadership, but also expose them to the other parts of the business and the different cultures and management styles and leadership styles of the other people in the business. Because if they don't see that, then how are they going to lead or understand the whole culture? So, you know, that's how you avoid it. So I think I went on a little long there. I don't know how much time we're at, but. Um, I think we covered all of our bases with, with that one and addressing what's going on today. So I think that this episode uh, wraps that all up pretty well. So, I mean, I don't know what to do, Elena, but I feel like since we talked about it, maybe we need to find like a Red Cross or something, um, since I think we're going to be talking about Clara Barton at some point, maybe a Red Cross donation thing that we can put on a link for this episode to help mm-hmm. refugees or whatever yeah. in Ukraine. That'd be um, awesome. You know, and then anyone who wants to do more actively or help in other ways, I think the best way is to, you know, refugees and stuff, they need to rebuild their lives. So just sending supplies and money is great start. But, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, or you're a person in business, it's an opportunity to give a group of people a second chance and create yep. jobs for them. Mm-hmm. So what does that look like? And if you want to be a global entrepreneur, you need to think outside the boundaries of your country, um, expose yourself to different laws in different countries and how it works. And then you know, maybe make a difference in that way. Cause it's more than just exporting mosquito net guys um, to keep someone from getting mosquito bites or malaria mm-hmm. um, or yellow fever or whatever it is. It's about export knowledge so they can build their own mosquito nets and they can create jobs and they can rise up as populations and countries and free thinking humans. Um, but it starts by doing those little things and it takes generations. So you know, if we want human rights and we want equality and we want a better way of life and healthier humans and food and all that, it's not going to happen during our lifetime. It's just not. But we can start by acting and setting the example. And some of that is accepting that there's going to be conflict along the way and being prepared for it. So. Yeah, I, I agree. And I will, uh, we'll do some research on where we can donate and we'll get that linked into the description of this video. Um, but thank you, Justin, for sharing all of that with us. And thank you everyone for listening in um, and being a part of what we're doing here. And like we shared before, thoughts and prayers are with those uh, overseas and, and struggling right now. And we're going to do our part to, to try to pitch in to make that um that a little bit better. So we will share those links. And until next time, thanks for listening. Awesome. Thank you.